I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. Hello, and I'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Um, today's topic is something that has really been in the news of late, um, reading a lot about it, and it's the topic of interoperability and how that is slowly starting to take hold with uh, what I would call better late than never regulations and protocols and things like that to actually make this all work um, like it should. Um, I usually start out with a little story, and I'm going to tell you about the um, I used to come from the large multi-specialty group practice world, and I'm going to go back to the paper days for just a moment. Uh, we had a unified medical record at the clinic we had. We had all 28 specialties. We were, you know, big staff, lots of medical records. And it was hard to get records moved from one place to another, even in the same building. I'm gonna tell you a little anecdotic story about a friend of mine who was an ENT surgeon. Of course, we had a piece of software that would track charts. And that we tracked them anywhere. We had another big clinic down the road. So we knew whether that clinic had the chart or whether we had the chart and what office the chart was in. But this particular person had the proclivity against rules to put charts in the trunk of his car. So in our chart managing system, we had a location of his trunk. So when we couldn't find anything anywhere regarding a medical record, someone would run out to the parking lot with his keys and check in his trunk to see if that medical record was available. And we thought that was great because we could actually know where it was. But we had vans running everywhere to lots of different places transporting this stuff. And then if you didn't need the whole chart, you got to the wonderful fax machine where you would call an office and all of a sudden you were interoperable. They would send you one page, two pages, 50 pages. You didn't know what, what you're going to get. And then you had to read the whole thing and, and try to decipher what in the world was in that medical record that you just received. But today's guest is an expert in, in moving medical information, and he's been doing it for a very, very long time. So I'd like to uh, introduce uh, Dr. John Blair, who is the CEO of MedAllies, which is an interoperability communications company. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Dr. Anders. And I've, I've got to say, having, I, I am or was a practicing physician. I was in academics for several years and then private practice. And I'm trying to think about how, from your anecdote, how much has changed and how much is still the same. There's a lot of both. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Uh, just when we think we have something fixed, some other spring in the dike comes through and we have to fix that as well. Um, so one of the things I really like to talk about today is this new quality health information network and certification and what that is. Um, you know, we're just loaded with acronyms in healthcare IT, TEFCA, QHIN, ACOs, HIEs, uh, all of that. Um, so as the president of a, you know, a former president of a large uh, physician group, as well as president or CEO of MedAllies, tell us a little bit about 
what a QHIN is and, and why that's important. Okay, so, so you've had, I, I've been at this since 2000. And, and as you mentioned, I was the president of a large uh, 5,000 physician organization in north of New York City over about eight counties. And when we really started this, we were, we were looking at what was happening at places like Kaiser and other integrated delivery networks and, and trying to figure out how to achieve some of those advancements in an open community where you had disparate providers, hospitals, health plans, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so what we tried to tackle from the beginning, and we've gone through many iterations uh, over the years and have been involved in many different projects and, and advancements, what we wanted to do was get at something you were talking about a little bit, which was communication between providers, hospitals, health plans, et cetera. And we went through the health information exchange days, the traditional HIE, for a decade, we got involved in what's called direct messaging and operate one of the larger national direct networks. That was in 2012. And we've been running that and operating that for the last decade. And what came about around 2016 was an effort by the federal government to try to look at various things in, in the health system, one of which was interoperability. And that was from a, a project that was that the acronym is TEFCA, uh, Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. And that has led, and many, many didn't know which way this would go. It was a massive project and we didn't know whether it would die on the vine or whether they would finally get us there. And in the last year, it's looked more and more like this will really happen. I think it's partially because leadership is aligned and there are very good people in place right now that are leading this. Uh, Mickey Tripathi at ONC, Marianne Yeager at the Sequoia Project, Alan Swenson at Care Equality, and you've got some real top-notch leadership. And about a year ago, they finally got to the point where they announced that they were going to move on this and they were going to move on it by creating these qualified health information networks. And that's what QHEN stands for. And what it, what, and what it does is Sequoia, which is the body that will choose and, and qualify these networks will, will be, um, there will be applications that will be going out this month and organizations that have done interoperability for years and that have a strong track record and can meet certain standards will be potentials to qualify. There will be several of, there, there have been probably a half a dozen or so companies that have announced that they intend to apply we intend to apply. That doesn't mean we will get it, uh, but we are hopeful. And the companies that get these qualified health information networks, one with that 
comes in, in addition to a, a, a tremendous amount of scrutiny and, and some regulatory requirements and some requirements around standards, what it's going to do, we believe, is really give a good housekeeping seal of approval on interoperability and, and also really constrain to a degree what's been a bit of a wild west on interoperability and bringing some of this, corralling some of this so it can be focused. Now, the, these, these networks initially are focused on query-based networks. Uh, I had mentioned that we, are, we run a direct network, which is a push network. The care quality networks that I, that I mentioned are query-based and the QHINs follow that trajectory on standards. So, so the QHINs will have query first and foremost. They will also have push and they will also ultimately have a roadmap that goes to fire, which will be in production and required in January of 2024. So the QHINs again are the culmination of five years of work on the federal government trying to institute standards, standard operating procedures, legal standards for all participants and subparticipants. And that's that's a quick summary of where this QHIN is, is headed. Thank you. That's actually very, very concise from my reading as well. Tell us a little bit about MidAllies and what it's done and how is it going to fit into this new QHIN model? Okay, so MedAllies, as I mentioned, started actually in 2001, and it was in response to work that we were doing in the large physician organization that I mentioned initially in the intro. And that organization was really working on quality and cost. And, and one of the pieces that we saw early on that was important, in addition to digitizing physician practices, we did a lot of work in electronic health records. We had in our region, one of the highest penetrations of certified EHRs around 2008 and nine. But in addition to that, we were working on interoperability before even digitizing the practices. And we started with the traditional health information exchange. It was regional and it was primarily hospitals integrated and um, putting in information to create a longitudinal health record to allow for that type of work early on. So we went through the early days of standard traditional health information exchange. As I said, as we moved into the next decade, around 2010, we were very focused on transition of care and primary care practices referring to specialists, hospitals discharging patients, consults coming back from specialist to primary care. And we then pivoted from our traditional HIE focus to what ultimately became direct and the national direct networks. We were involved in the early work on that. We actually contributed code to the um, reference implementation. We did one of the seven reference implementations for direct and it was all about transitions of care. So, so that's what we moved to and our focus on interoperability, not just with MedAllies, but even the physician organization 
was on the transition of care on interoperability, the coordination of care. Since the announcement of TEFCA and we've, and, or of QHENS, and we've been following this for the last five years with great interest. And at some point we knew we would get into the query based approach also because that the push does not cover the waterfront on what's needed in healthcare, but having a push and a pull covers many more use cases. So we knew we would be getting into that at some point. The trigger was the announcement that I mentioned last summer on the QHENS. And since then, MedAllies has one built and launched a care quality network. We are now in addition to a national direct network, we are a national care quality query based network. And we are bringing on partners. We have a um, two provider, or, I mean, two provider EHR uh, vendors that have, that have partnered with us for care quality. And we also have a consumer based company that is, that is connecting to our care quality network for consumer queries for their own health information. So MedAllies has been from basic EHR to HIE, traditional HIE, to direct, and now to care quality and query. So at the end of the day, we will cover what I would consider all of the modalities. We will cover basic EFACs, we will cover direct, we will cover care quality query, we will cover care quality push, and we will, we will be one of the organizations that pilots the FIRE care quality networks next year. Well, that's a big undertaking as, as I'm familiar with uh, what is involved with that. And you know, the old HIE repository type structure that's out there now and it's in Ohio and several other places. Uh, this is, seems to me a little different. This is not going to be a huge repository, at least I think, uh, more of a direct connect between systems. So can you educate us a little bit on, on that structure? Yeah, that's a good, very, good, very good question. And, and I, I, you know, I don't think HIEs, traditional HIEs go away, uh, regional and statewide. I, you know, there's certainly a place, and again, there's use cases there. And I think when you look at the QHIN concept, it is similar to direct in that it, it is going to engage virtually all the hospital mar market. And as direct has 80 to 90% of ambulatory providers now, it's going to connect fairly ubiquitous, ubiquitously to the healthcare ecosystem. Now, it will also include payers, um, you know, government benefit organizations, you know, social security, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the difference, if you think about traditional HIE, they are regional or maybe statewide, QHIN becomes ubiquitous. It's not just regional, it's everybody. And, and the difference, again, in addition to a greater reach, but that doesn't mean that an HIE can't connect to care or quality also and increase their reach. But, but in, in, so it, it's going to have a greater reach, but also it's going to, as you said, just connect the endpoints. So the data is not gonna reside in the middle 
as it does with a traditional HIE, it is going to reside in the respective endpoints, whether they're an EHR or a payer platform or whatever. So as you query, you can be an initiator for that information and, it get, and, and that gets into um, all, all sorts of things around security and also a responder so that you know that the, the, that, that that organization or provider that's asking for the information is who they are. And, and again, you become really the conduit. You're the transport for this information and not the place that actually holds the information, the longitudinal record or the repository. Uh, it's not that. Now, I will say that the whole thing on query is if you get everybody connected, you, you've done a, a nice first step. But now, unlike push, where you know what you're sending to somebody and you know what they want, the person receiving, it's going to get pretty close to what they expect. On query, you're just getting everything back. So you could be getting, you know, we, we, we went live with a beta site the other day that queried, they're excited, and they queried on one of their patients and got 100 documents back. And the technical people were so excited they didn't know what to do. And our chief medical officer and I, who understand and have practiced and everything, said, that's not usable. That's not digestible. And so, I mean, that's going to be, I think, the next frontier is how you curate, deduplicate, and present that information. So there's going to be a little bit of that traditional HIE piece that comes into play here on how you serve that information up. And I think that's going to be the next thing once everyone's connected and we're, we're able to get all of this, how that's going to be made useful and meaningful. You know, that's, that brings up a whole list of questions. Um, well, I'll start with a couple here. Uh, you know, one of the problems in the United States in the delivery of healthcare is that medical information transportability breaks down when you're out in the rural population. I mean, you've got smaller hospitals, they're not connected to anything, uh, small providers who are not connected to anything, which really need to be. So when this network is starting to be set up, are, who's gonna have access to it? Is it gonna be anybody with a certified EHR, um, even down to the onesie, twosie, threesie practices that are out in the middle of Pennsylvania? Um, or is it going to be limited to you know, larger hospitals? Yeah, that's a really good point. And that, again, we could spend three, <laughs> three, three sessions on that. But the reality is this, 98% um, or 90, between 95 and 98% of all hospitals are connected to direct, for example. Um, a certified EHR has to connect to that. Meaningful use got the hospitals to send out information on discharge, 90, between 80 and 90% of all providers are now connected, rural or urban. And the EHRs have to be able to do this, to be certified. They actually are connected and it's operational. So you have to ask the question, when, when the groups that you just said are not connected are actually connected, why aren't they using it? Because time after time after time, we're called in on, on getting adoption, particularly when we were doing um, 
primary care practice transformation for medical home and CPC plus. We were doing a lot of the regions for that. And those providers, rural, whether they're ambulatory or hospital, had systems that were capable, were actually connected, but they weren't properly configured and they weren't properly trained. So the issue is much more about underinvesting on setup for these systems and training on them than it is about actually the networks being more comprehensive. Mm -hmm. So most are actually connected. And I think particularly with Q, well, with care quality and some of the things that will come with incentives, I think behind that, I think that the connectivity will be there. I just hope that we don't continue to underinvest in what's needed to train the providers and their staff to use these systems. That's a very important point. And that goes along the lines of almost every piece of healthcare IT I've ever been involved with. It's all about the training. It's all about being able to use what you have that you may not know how to use. That's a very, very excellent point. Um, are patients going to be involved with these networks? Are they going to be well, able to access things? It's about time that they get involved, right? Or not? I think so. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's about time that they have the opportunity to be involved. And I've got to really compliment the government on this one and the industry. There are plenty of consumer patient advocates out there um, that have been just, you know, beating their heads against the wall for years on this. And, and so this is what, this is really encouraging. So the care quality query networks theoretically have the ability for consumers to query to get their information. However, you get into, into difficulty with matching algorithms since there's not a standard there and knowing and being sure that the person that's asking for that information is the person that, that is that person's information at the, at the practice. So a patient might query and the practice is a, it has trepidation with releasing it because they're not completely sure it's the right patient. And if you look at HIPAA, if a provider sends the, to the wrong provider, you, you, that's not a breach. But if a provider sends to the wrong patient, that's a breach. breach. And so there's a much greater um, concern. Now, what's happened with QHIN is they've done a few things. One, there is a lot of good work happening on matching algorithms with, within care quality to get that to something that, that there's not a mandate to standardize it yet, but they're at least getting towards something that there's a strong enough industry consensus that that becomes less of a barrier. The other thing that, that, that is going to happen with QHIN is right now to connect to a care quality network you, you know, so that you can query, you have to respond for treatment. So if the, if the, if the, if, if the entity that's querying has been properly identity proved, and everything's been done right towards standards, you have to respond to that. If a, if a patient, and it's called Individual Access Services, IAS, 
of a patient queries right now, there are standards around the identity proofing and level of assurance that the person asking is who they are. And there are standards around the consent so that you know that the person asking has given consent for that. So, so that has been solved and there's standards around that. What's, what's, gonna, what's gonna happen with QHIN is just as you have to respond for a treatment query, you will have to respond to a patient query. So any participant on the QHIN or sub-participant that's connected from legal agreement from day one, if they get hit with, or if they get a query from a patient, they have to respond to that. Otherwise, otherwise you cannot be on the network. And that's great. And that will start to happen because the QHIN application process will be getting shortly. There will be some internal announcements probably toward the end of the year. And then there will go into uh, QA testing and production testing. So my guess is toward the end of the first quarter, second quarter, you will actually start to see these begin, begin to come live. So probably by mid 2023, patients will be able to query and get responses back from probably three-fourths of the participants on the network. That's excellent. That is absolutely excellent because I've long been a proponent of bringing the patients into the loop and having them give access to them and provide information. So get it and give it um, at the same time. I'm going to switch to one thing you talked about before is the query versus push. Um, that concerns me a little bit as a provider. Uh, when you talk about querying and you get a hundred pages of something back and there's stuff in there. So you've, you've got, your request has been accomplished by giving you the medical record and the information in it, but finding it and sorting it and trying to get it into a useful state is a tough call. It's, it's hard to do. Um, there are companies out there doing some, some of what we do is that, but how do you see that being addressed? Because, you know, there's all this tsunami of data, dumpster diving for data, all that kind of stuff I've, we've read and talked about that um, really may push back on the actual using of this type of, of technology because I query and I get something back I can't use. I don't have time to read 65 pages of stuff. So can you comment a little bit on that? Yeah, I brought that example up just to say that that's going to be something that needs to be addressed. I, I also didn't say that on that beta site for you know whatever the 50, 50 patients they queried on, uh, most of them got back a document, a summary document, and it was consumable. But one, you know, one did get a hundred. <laughs> and if you go back to, to what's what they would like to see and will ultimately expect for care quality, which leads into the tech, you know, the, the specifications really for QN, they they are looking for a summary CDA so that it's the most recent CDA that is a summary. Those are searchable, those are usable today. Now, some EHRs do it better than others. There will also be visit documents behind that, and that's the first cut on this, but that's not gonna be st still adequate. And that's why I believe 
that one, you need the connectivity, you need the reach, you need to be able to get to most places, uh, ultimately maybe to everywhere. But the next piece is going to be the efforts. And I think there's going to be commercial efforts on this. I think the market's going to go after this to serve up something to the edge system that allows the edge system to make it usable. Now you've got some vendors that are tackling what you're talking about themselves. Without naming names, there's some that, that actually aggregate all that, dedupe it, make it usable. Um, but a lot are not gonna have that. So, so what we're thinking about is how do we work with our partners to best move it to something's more usable but I do think whether it's the EHR vendors or the edge system vendors or the networks or a combination thereof, which I think it'll be a combination, that's, I think, the next frontier. Because until you make that usable, people don't have in, inordinate time. So, I mean, if you, look at a, if you look at push versus pull, the push tends to be succinct. You know, I'm sending you this patient for a thyroid nodule here are the thyroid function studies, the sonogram, and whatever. Um, the query, on the other hand, can bring in much more information, but it's a different use case. So if you're talking to an emergency room provider, they want that query because they want to be able to look around for, for the needle in the haystack that they don't have. If you look at a specialist getting a referral, they do not want a boatload of information. If you talk to a care manager that's taking care of a couple of dozen very sick patients, they're gonna, they'll, they'll be okay waiting through some stuff and getting everything they can. So again, it's, you've got to look at the use cases. The query uh, has a place, the push has a place, but I think there's going to be a lot to do on the query to, again, serve up more meaningful, succinct, searchable, et cetera, information. That's a great answer. And I think that's a, a problem that we're just going to have to tackle going forward. Kind of running up on the end of our time here. Um, I asked this question of all my guests. Um, if I gave you a magic wand and you could wave it and fix one thing in healthcare IT, what would it be? Well, I, I, <laughs> I, I actually don't think it's a question for healthcare IT. I think it's our healthcare system. I mean, if I could wage a magic wand, I'd go single payer, but I'm going to stay out of politics. I think that if you, if one could change the reimbursement system and, and pay for value, in other words, higher quality, lower cost, all of these things we do in iHealth IT about, you know, we talked about connectivity, right? But then we talked about how there's not the funding there to, configure and train providers and, and their staff. If we, if we, so you sprinkle a little, a bit of, of funding at these problems and, and try to address them. And it's not the IT side of it. It is the adoption and usage side, which I think gets back to reimbursement. If you were reimbursing for transitions of care and care coordination, we wouldn't even be talking about this anymore. <laughs> we get what we pay for, don't we? That's just the way life is. 
Right. <laughs> John, it has been a pleasure to have you uh, on the podcast today. If someone needs to get a hold of you or wants to ask you questions or get more information, how would they do that? I would say visit our website, medallies.com. You can see there what we're about. If you, if you want to talk to us about any of the work we're doing and get involved, you can, you can find that, how to get to us through the website. And we're happy to talk to anyone, anytime. We're passionate about what we do. We're, we are clinically, we were started by clinicians and we have not left that. And it's all about the patient, their care and providers and their, what their life is like. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about Medicomp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MedicompSys or myself at MedicompDoc, or check out the show notes for links. See you next time.